Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. All right, Gussie Wallen, so amazing to connect with you on Where To From Here. It's an absolute joy and honor to be talking today, but also having the absolute privilege of working closely with you in some of the amazing things that you are doing in your life at the moment and you've been doing for a while. So Gus, tell me a little bit about yourself and how we know each other. Thank you. Before I start, it's good to have smart people around you. So you're the, one of the smartest I know. So uh, <laughs> believe me, it goes both ways. The, how we got together, of course, was that, you know, my passion is very much gotcha for life, which was a foundation I started off the back of a TV program I did on the ABC called Man Up. And that really challenged masculinity. And it really was a journey of why I lost my friend to suicide, a guy that seemed to have everything old school, tick in the boxes type person, you know, good looking, married, three children, status inside of work, status outside of work. And he takes his own life on the days of his third and final child finished their HSC here in Sydney. I did what most blokes did. I got drunk on the anniversary or I shouted at the sky and I got upset, but I didn't really talk to anyone about it. And one day I did. And that started my journey on doing the Man Up program and also Gotcha for Life, which is all about suicide prevention, all about zero suicides and giving people the emotional muscle to actually stick their hand up and ask for help and to realize that asking for help, being vulnerable is actually the strength. So that's sort of me in a couple of minutes, my last five or six years Before that, I was a salesman. And before that, I was and and still are in media doing TV and radio. Yes. And, you know, everything that I talk about, Gus, you are so much the embodiment of what I really love to align myself to. And that's people who have big hearts and high energy and just a passion to make a difference in this world. It's just an absolute joy, the energy that you give out and your deep heart-driven pull to make a difference. So tell us a little bit more about Gotcha for Life and the amazing mission of this incredible not-for-profit. 
Yeah, so at the end of the Man Up program, I actually wasn't quite sure what to do because in terms of like success and results, like they had hundreds of thousands of people watch it initially. Then the ABC put it on their iView, which is their streaming catch-up service. And now we've had over 100 million views. We gave it away to the world through the pandemic. And I think everyone, Joe, probably found a book or a podcast or something to help them through the pandemic, your book being one that I read and helped me at times. And I think we all stopped and found something. And that's what Man Up was to a lot of people. And lots of people have said to me, Matt, I stumbled across your program. You know, years after it was actually first put out there, gee, it was helpful. It was the first conversation I had with my kids in ages. It gave me a little bit of support to actually ask these questions. So perhaps I wasn't quite sure how to ask that initial question. So that for me, Man Up was huge. And I just didn't want to become an ambassador for some really good organizations out there. I wanted to do more. I wanted to take away the wellness jacket a bit and actually normalize this conversation and blokes in particular. So it was all about helping blokes because blokes are 75% of suicides. We lose seven blokes a day, every day. I've soon realized that it's a human issue and it's all Australians that need the help or all people in the world need the help. But initially it was the first couple of years, Man Up was all about men. And then I just decided to leave Brecky Radio. I'd had enough of those 3.30 alarms. I've been doing it for <laughs> nearly 11 years. So I really put my teeth and my heart and soul into Gotcha. And now we're nearly five and a half years on and we've raised $11 million and given that to people that work in suicide prevention. I think there's way too much focus on awareness. If you're not aware that we've got a problem in this country around mental health or what I call mental fitness, and you've been living under a rock. You really have. So enough of the awareness, time for action, time to put a line in the sand. It's time for people that know stuff to actually get out there and start doing. And that's what Gotcha for Life is about, is feeding the prevention of suicide. And we had a slight decrease last year, 5.4%, 170 people less than a year before, but still over 3,000 people taking their own life in this country. So it's time to do something different. If we keep doing the same thing over and over again, we'll get the same result. So this is our opportunity, like I said, to put a line in the sand and say, no more, not on my watch. And Gotcha for Life and what I do is all about giving people that emotional muscle so they can get mentally fit. Let's talk mental fitness rather than mental health, because mental health takes you straight to the bottom of the barrel, makes you think that it's someone else's issue. No, no, we're all mentally fit in some way, whether you're one out of 10 or 10 out of 10. So let's talk about that in a positive way to work on your your fitness, your physical and mental fitness. Wow. I just love that so, so much. And I think that that your words and your positive focus is exactly core to the mission that I'm on and, you know, talking about from anxiety to action and positivity and hopefulness and empowerment, not just on just talking the positive talk, but digging deep on scientifically supported practical strategies that are really logical and actually quite simple and straightforward to implement that really enables us to kick the shit out of mental fitness goals and change lives because it starts with small steps and keeping it real and keeping it really concrete, which is you do that just so very beautifully. I remember, Gus, when I first saw the show, when I first saw Man Up and I thought, I have to be a part of this. 
I saw it. And, you know, there was such a strong heart connection. Well, at least my heart just really reached out to you. And I just thought, I have to be a part of this. This is just too good, too aligned. And now, you know, we fast forward a number of years. And let's remember that this is pre-COVID. And COVID has just absolutely skyrocketed the imperative of the, the work and the mission that we're on shoulder to shoulder and helping individuals. And I love what you said about this is a human problem and we take it out of a mental unwellness pocket and bring it into a human frame. So I'd love to hear some of the strategies that you're using to normalize, so to build normal conversations and helping people to recognize that it is okay to not be okay, that it is part of being human. Tell me a little bit about the incredible work that you're doing there. When I go in and, and speak to people and, and I, sometimes I'm standing in front of, like I did the ICC a couple of weeks ago, 15,000 people. That was in the morning and in the afternoon I'm in a at a cricket club, you know, pre-season cricket stuff, you know, 20 kids, you know. Sometimes I'm on a chat with you that goes out to a few people and others goes out to hundreds of thousands of downloads. So this, the message is the same. And going back to that human issue, I realized that even if you do focus on men, there's a whole lot of women in these men's lives that are affected by, you know, a man making that permanent decision based on a temporary situation. So I was really just looking for the right program to support, to be able to do men and women, um, even though I knew it was a human issue. Once I found the right programs to help, then I was all in. And it was a big shift for Gotcha for Life to go from, you know, the Man Up program. I mean, there it is in the in the title, Man Up, to all of a sudden we're into everything and making sure that everyone is looked after and everyone has emotional muscle. So for me, it's about making it as simple as possible because as soon as I say the world wellness or mental health in groups of men that I talk to in particular, their eyes glaze over. They're like, oh, no, that's not for me. This is not for me. But I go, what's your mental fitness? And they go, what's mental fitness? I said, well, okay, let's start the ball rolling by asking what your physical fitness is. And they laugh and they giggle. There's a fit bloke in the corner. He's a nine out of 10. And you've got blokes like me who are three or four out of 10 in the other corner and then a few in between. And I go, okay, well, if I asked you to give yourself a mark out of 10 for your physical fitness right now, you'd probably come up with a number quite quickly. Um, it may not exactly be accurate, but you'd come up with a number well, what's your mental fitness number? And what are the exercises to get mentally fit? How do you get mentally fit? So really simplifying it down to something that they understand. And especially when you go into sports clubs, you talk about pre-season training, they understand that. You need to get fit. You're blowing more than ever. You're in the gym. You're running laps, whatever it might be. It's hard work. Well, so is getting mentally fit. You know, and you need to practice it. You need to turn up not just once in a blue moon and expect to run the marathon or to play for the whole season injury free. If you just turn up once or twice, you've got to continually turn up. You've got to get uncomfortable. You've got to get out of control. You've got to start to learn having these conversations, which are hard to have. Men in particular, we've learnt how to behave like men. We've been told to man up and shut up all our lives. So all of a sudden we're saying, no, no, man up, speak up. It's a big thing to change. It's a big change. So we need to look after people. We have to take them on that journey and we need to make it as simple as possible and make them realize that this is real. And the most important people in your life need you to show some vulnerability and some leadership here. And that's really what I talk about. When I talk to leaders, I go, being human and vulnerable is the new way to lead, not puffing your chest out and making out you got all the answers. It doesn't mean we're not resilient. Doesn't mean we don't work hard, but it means you're actually just real and human. 
I had one of the top four banks with me a couple of weeks ago. And at the end of the session, went for about 90 minutes. I said, uh, so who's the big dog in the room? You know, and there was silence and a few giggles and whatever. And this bloke sort of goes, oh, I suppose I am. And I said, okay, could you tell us a story that you've never told anyone in this room, any of your colleagues? 45 seconds, Joe, he said nothing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've overstepped the mark here. I've asked for too much. And he said to me, you're not going to let me off the hook? I said, no, I'm not. And he goes, okay. And he told this story, and I, I won't say it here because it was for that room. But the general gist was he was worried about one of his kids. Mm. And he had spent a weekend where he was really worried and a lot of stressful time with the family and his partner and so forth. And everyone was in tears by the end of this chat. And everyone was sort of basically got up from their seats around the boardroom and were waiting in line to give him a cuddle. Mm. At the end of that, I said, have you ever shown that sort of vulnerability to anyone before at work? He said, I don't think I've shown that vulnerability to anyone full stop. I said, isn't it good, firstly, to be a human being in your office? Now all your team realise that you're just like them. You've got ups and downs. You've got good days and bad days. doesn't mean you're not going to be a fantastic CEO and making great calls for all the people that need you to make great calls, but it's just nice, isn't it, to take a moment to be human in the workplace and it was just fantastic and i just said who wouldn't want to run through a brick wall for this guy now showing vulnerability is the new way forward being you know fair income using an aussie slang is what we're looking for now we've sort of slowed down enough through the pandemic we don't want to get caught up in all the bs anymore mm. you know we've got fair income proper leaders who are authentic and and I, I think that's where you do great work and i think that's where gotcha for life does great work is that we simplify something that's really complicated and mm-hmm. make it something that people can work towards building their mental fitness easily mm-hmm. or at least give them the steps so they can make it start to happen. 100%. Oh, my goodness. So many things going through my mind that I just want to pick up on on the amazing things that you are just talking about there. And what I love is we are ultimately redefining courage and courage and vulnerability is the new definition of courage historically it's the man up piece of garbage that says i'm courageous because i'm going to push these feelings down and when i push these feelings down long enough well hey the ultimate of pushing those feelings down and numbing big emotions is taking your own life buddy and we want to change that and we want to change the story of what real courage actually means and courage and vulnerability is I'm really big on when I do sort of these engagements with corporates and with leaders is around recognizing that well-being, mental fitness and vulnerability is not a bolt-on to high performance. It's absolutely fundamental to high performance. It's all about psychological safety, enables people to move out of sub-optimized behaviors in business and enables them to lean in, conflict dissolves and collaboration takes hold. So go you, amazing, amazing work and keeping it so real and keeping it so authentic. Gus, you know, this is just game changing stuff and being such a champion of change in the work that you do. I am really curious to know because I want to hear about you, the man with the big heart. (laughs) Tell me about you. Where did this all begin? We did some work together on Triple M, we, we talked um, and we lent into building vulnerability in the community and leaning in and providing support. So you've got, you know, a big name in, in the world of radio, but I'd love to hear more about you as a human being. 
Yeah, no problem. Born in Sydney, went to Japan for the first three or four years of my life. My dad was setting up Travelodge hotels around the world. So we were very lucky looking back at having that and international school, kindy sort of thing, and then came back to the North Shore of Sydney and had a really happy childhood, a little bit of trauma when my father left the family home, but it was sort of managed as well as they possibly could between mum and dad. My father was actually gay. And back in the day, that was actually illegal in New South Wales. It was a tricky situation, especially for my mum, who still adored my dad and felt very much, you know, the sadness around losing someone that she loved, but knew it wasn't for another person as such. It was because of dad's actual feelings, which eventually came to the surface. So I only found that out when I was about 18 after having a really good, happy childhood, went on my gap year to England, met my now wife at that point, took her a few years to feel the same way as I felt about her, but eventually I wore her down and we, we <laughs> lived five years, five years thrive, in. Thrive on a challenge, right? Thrive on a challenge. That's um, it. I, I nearly gave up, but you know, eventually she came around. We lived in England for five years. I ran a pub, which was probably where I was my happiness at the time, having a great time. And I remember this bloke came in at six o'clock. He was a stonemason. His name was Charles. He used to smoke back in the day, cigars at the bar, drinking his beers. And, and he said to me, when are you going to start like growing up? And I'm like, I was like 22 at the time, loving my life, you know, <laughs> running this bar down in Somerset. And he's, and I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, unless you own the pub, just don't be the barman in the pub. Like you've got to start getting your shit together. And that was a real moment for me to go, okay, I better actually start doing that. So <laughs> back and forth, back and forth a little bit. And eventually found myself selling laptop computers for Toshiba. I ended up back looking after the north of England and Scotland for Toshiba. And that's when my friend took his own life. And that's where my life changed at 38 after being a salesman for about 10 years or so. And I had some success being a sales person. I enjoyed it, but I always knew that if I was selling something, I had to believe in the product. I couldn't just sell ice to Eskimos, which is what everyone kept telling me I could do. I could only sell the ice if it was the best ice. You know what I mean? That was the way that I was brought up by by my grandfather, who was a salesman. And eventually my best mate in the whole world, Hugh Jackman, he was setting up a production company in Australia. He said, I've got this idea for a TV show. I'd love you to be in it. And that's when my life changed again at 38 to being you know on my own tv show i did three of those another couple of shows and then one day i was actually promoting a tv show on triple m in melbourne on the brekkie show and the boss of triple m was in a cab between the airport and the station and he goes this bike can tell a good story i'm going to put in part of this new sydney breakfast show so my first job on radio was sydney breakfast which was pretty huge i didn't realize how big that was now i do Um, and 2009 that was so i've been on triple m ever since in various roles 11 years breakfast then i did a saturday sports show and now i'm doing the drive show between four and six every afternoon on monday to friday so and as well as that i'm doing gotcha for life and you know gotcha for life is my main passion piece but if you ever decide to run a non-for-profit you realize that it doesn't pay the bills very well so i needed to get a proper job as well so that's makes me super busy i've got three kids that are 19, 20, and 22. So they're a little bit older. They can look after themselves. I've got a wife that works with me, as you know, Vicky, in Gotcha for Life. That's me in a nutshell, in five minutes anyway. Very passionate about my friends, very passionate about sport, but my main focus is zero suicides. How do we possibly 
build the mental fitness up of all Aussies and simplify it enough for people to actually make change in their relationships and start having these conversations that they're simply not having at the moment because we don't quite know how to start them. Talk about a man who can tell a story well. You just told that life story pretty well. (laughs) There's a lot in there and a lot of things that are really powerful, big chapters in and of themselves. And I'd love to dig a little deeper in some of those big chapters. And before we go there, and part of one of the big chapters is your magnificent wife, Vix. Certainly takes a village to change the world. I absolutely want to shine the light on the incredible work that she is doing as part of this mission and the two of you together. How would you describe the power of synergy between the two of you in that heart alignment, given the incredible warm human being that she is as well? Well, I suppose for us, you know, we we had a little bit of a wobble, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, you know, like I think most marriages go through points where people are growing at different stages some quicker than the others and all i remember is sort of doubting us for a little while and i was honest enough i suppose to actually have a conversation with a mate of mine about it and he said well you've got to go and see this person and it was a lady that i see not as regularly as i used to who basically was a counselor who helped me and then she helped vix and like most relationships if you want to stay together you can stay together it's mm. just when one's already looking over the the side or looking at other options is when you probably get yourself in trouble so after that wobble and the fact that we've got through that and our three kids are absolute champions and we love them. It's sort of, I suppose we were looking for something to do. And the fact is that we were both very passionate about this space. She felt very much in love with the Man Up program and the thoughts of doing the foundation and so forth. So she was a teacher by trade and she had some wobbly bits through the kids' teenage years where you just not needed as much as a mum. And she was wondering, I wonder what I'm meant to do in my next phase in my life. So it was like a perfect storm for both of us to find this passion for Gotcha. And of course, with her teaching, she runs the educational side of Gotcha. She runs the partnerships that go into schools. So she understands that world. So it's just like, it's just worked out really well and it's given her a lot of purpose. And as you know, purpose is absolutely key, especially when you're in life in general, but especially when you're looking at that next phase around the age of 50 and your kids don't need you as much anymore. The fact is the problem working in this field together so much and being so passionate about it, so emotional, is that you can end up not talking about anything else. Mm. We have to give ourselves some boundaries. And I learned that from your book to just Mm. make sure that you don't absolutely focus on one thing and you give yourself date nights. You give yourself moments where you go, I'm not talking about that anymore today. You know, we'll talk about it in the morning or whatever. And that's hard. It's discipline to do that, but that's kept us rocking and rolling. And she's fantastic. And now the kids need her even more because they've got through that teenage bit and now they're coming back to us a little bit and things are going pretty good. She's now sort of the female version of me going out and doing these chats initially into corporations or into schools or sporting clubs where she can talk as a founder of Gotcha for Life, just like I can. And Mm. her story is her own story. And she's very authentic. She's very real. Yeah. So for for me, it's just, it's a dream how it's all worked itself out. How amazing. Talk about a a meant to be and, you know, working through the tough stuff. And I love to say discomfort is oftentimes a precursor to growth. And this is a really powerful representation of that. Instead of running away from the discomfort of the challenge that you and Vix were having at that time, you lent into the discomfort and you said, 
okay, we're not going to just give up on this. We're going to see what can we do to make a difference and to lean into the discomfort and look at the incredible growth that's come of it. Wow. The two of you, such a powerhouse and uh, the success that you're achieving in Gotcha for Life is really testament to the synergy between you and between the incredible team of Gotcha for Life. And you mentioned Hugh Jackman your magnificent friend um, who's also on the advisory board. So tell me a little bit about the team for Gotcha for Life here amongst many other wonderful heart-driven human beings. Yeah, I mean, Jacko, when I first thought about this, he obviously is very proud of me because he started this whole journey for me. I remember talking to TV Week at the start of my TV career and they said, oh, you've only got a job because of your mates Hugh Jackman. I went, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely right. And I said, it's up to me now to make sure I don't muck it up. And I'd like to think, you know, that was 15 years ago. I've done some good stuff since. So I'd like to think that Jacko took a punt on me knowing that I would be someone that he could rely on. I wouldn't embarrass him and I'd do some good work. Hell yeah. Really- You're friends for a reason, right? <laughs> that's, that's it. But, you know, I suppose people, you know, they're always looking for a headline and, you know, whatever that was, that journey that day, I just was honest with them and said, look, I'm going to give it my best crack, but, you know, I don't want to let him down, you know. It's his production company. He's the one that's got out there and got the money in raised. So I want to do a good job. And those three shows we did together were so successful for him and for me. And it got me my next step into radio. But the thing he was most proud of was the Man Up program. So I said to him, I'd love to have someone like you because you know me so well. Like you're my gotcha for life, mate. Like I want you involved. And that's where he's on the board with you. So that was fantastic. So he's always there for me. I can always throw something at him and get an honest answer, which is these days, it's nice to find people in your corner, in your village that actually won't judge you and they'll tell you the truth. And I don't have to sugarcoat anything with him. I can literally just go blah and he will go blah and we'll work it all out because we're great mates. It's actually his birthday today. It's 54th birthday. So wow. Happy birthday, um, Jacko. He said this morning, I text him and he said, are you free after 7? 7.30 Sydney time. So we chatted for half an hour and he was on his way to Broadway to do his show, The Music Man. He's just strolling along the streets of New York and we're chatting away and you can hear the, the sirens going and the honking and the and the construction workers and all that stuff. And it's like, I'm so proud of him, but he's very proud of me and what Gotcha for Life has achieved and obviously the Man Up program. He knew my friend that took his own life. He actually taught us how to swim. He used to take birthday parties. He'd be like, you know, the PE teacher that would run us around and do various games and activities. And so he knew Angus as well. So there's a real deep connection there. Jacko's there for those reasons. And then really smart people like yourself, lawyers who can look at all the contracts so we don't have to spend a fortune on lawyers. They can they can give us a bit of pro bono. We've got counsellors. We've got smart business people. We've got the treasurer of Westpac, Kurt Zuber, who was the treasurer of us. You couldn't get much better than that. So these are all friends of mine that I've met on my journey and people that I meet and I tend to get along with them. So once I ask them for a bit of help, everyone's been wonderful and volunteered their time and so forth. So I'm very, very lucky. One thing I learned early doors is that I don't know the answers to everything. I've certainly got the passion piece. I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I don't understand all the other stuff, the dotting the I's, the crossing the T's, the guidelines, the procedures, everything you need to do because we're getting money in from government or getting people's hard earned or they're donating. Like That's a responsibility. And a, and a privilege to be able to spend that money in the way that those people would want it spent. So I need smart people around me to make sure that we 
do everything correctly and we sign off on everything and we've got all the right paperwork because it's a huge thing to have friends like Hugh Jackman and these other people on my boards, people like you, you know, you don't want to be associated with someone who is passionate but is lazy and unprofessional. It needs to be done properly. So that's where my board comes in. And all they really are ever trying to do is to build Gotcha for Life and to look after me to make sure that I do everything correctly because I'm obviously the face of it. Absolutely. And leveraging strengths is so testament to high performance. And, and you know, I think the common thread of everybody is deep authenticity. And, you know, as you said about Hugh, it's the capacity to take yourself out of judgment and bring yourself back to heart and that heart connectedness. And if we talk about culture, that seamless culture where you want to embody everything that you want to give out to the community and lead by example in that. So championing, looking after each other is really what we want to do to the global community or for the global community is to facilitate that. I've actually said to him before, I said, what you and I have, like the deepness that we share and the vulnerability that we share with each other is actually what I want everyone to have. That, like that actually embodies what Gotcha for Life's about. The reason I call it Gotcha for Life is because I want everyone to have someone who's gotcha for life, not just gotcha for whilst you're at school or when you're doing a, playing a sport together or whatever it might be, like a warts and all conversation whenever you need it without any judgment and someone sitting back and listening and going, thank you so much for sharing that and not having to fix that, just being a part of that journey to get some solutions and stuff. And that's literally what we have now. And our relationship has got deeper and stronger as I've learned stuff and I've been able to teach that to Jacko. And he says to me, he's credited me many times saying, mate, our relationship is so much better than it was now because of the stuff that you have taught me. And he has taught me so much as well, of course. That's what it's about. If everyone had a friend like we have, like that friendship like we have, oh, you'd never be worrying alone. And worrying alone, as you know, is the worst thing that we can do. We need to get everyone the emotional muscle to talk about the stuff that's buzzing around in our melons. Shoulder to shoulder, right? It's a yeah. connection and, and community. You talk about vulnerability and in your lifetime, you know, some of the things that you've mentioned would take you to places of deep vulnerability. So I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about some of these really tough times historically. Let's say, you know, you're an 18 year old, let's say still a kid as an 18 year old, we might sort of want to man up as 18 year olds. But at the end of the day, that's still incredibly young and trying to make sense of the world. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you used the word trauma and trauma can be, you can stand up in front of a classroom and somebody laughs and that can, you know, lay down in our neurosciences trauma, or it can be something that is really large and impactful that creates a traumatic life experience. What happened that you describe as trauma when you were a kid? Tell me a little bit more about that. I remember it so well. I remember coming home. Dad was an old-fashioned dad in terms of he was like an executive, so he did spend a couple of weeks a month away traveling. And back in the day when you traveled to Europe, you'd stay there for a few months. There wasn't this back and forth like it used to be. It was such a big deal to do it. We're talking Mm -hmm. the 70s now. We're talking 50 years ago. It wasn't odd for Dad not to be around as much, but I just remember coming home from school one day and Mum was always home. We never had a key to our house. She was always home. She was one of those old-fashioned mums. 
and a house and and someone who created a beautiful house and a home you know like our house was always a cake in the oven you could always pop in and have a cup or a drink depending on what age you were or what time of the day it was and so forth and i just remember coming down the garden path and seeing a whole lot of boxes at the front of our house and i thought that was a bit weird and anyway i sort of you know went in dropped my bag went and got some afternoon tea and and then dad said oh look i want to talk to you and your brother at dinner with your mother tonight and i was like okay that's fine we talk normally anyway and he actually said well your mother and i have decided to not live together anymore and i'll be moving out and that's all i heard and my plate literally i picked up my plate and i threw it and i smashed it up against the ki- the kitchen plate and i ran out i went down to my friend's house about four or four or five houses down the street and back then no mobile phones of course and i said i'm going to hang here until i can get my head around this and I was there for about three days. Of course, I didn't realize that mum had worked out where I was and had made the phone call, explained it to that family. And that family said, hey, we've got him until he's ready to come back. So I really struggled with it. I tried to work it all out. I didn't go to school. And eventually the next week I went to school. And I remember seeing a mate of mine and said, oh, my mum and dad are separating. And he goes, oh, my mum and dad separated. I'm like, oh. So you haven't told me that. He goes, oh, you know, don't really talk about that stuff. But I always wore my heart in my sleeve. So I told people. And then I realized, actually, Quite a few people had people that had divorced or separated. And then I started looking around over the next six months or so, and I realized that adults had two single beds in their bedroom. And I was like, oh, that just all of a sudden, these things that I hadn't even thought about, I thought everyone was a Brady Bunch, you know, (laughs) happy families and all that stuff or the happy days or the shows we're watching. So all of a sudden it just, and then I went, you know what? Mum seems okay. Dad seems okay. I'm seeing dad every couple of weekends, couple of weekends a month. And I just sort of got used to that. And then I found out years later that dad had left because he was gay. And the reason why they didn't tell me is because I was going so well. Like as a young teenager, I was kicking goals. I was having fun. I was a happy kid. And they just didn't want to add that too. And I had a bit of a struggle with that too, whether or not that was the right call or not. But that's what they did. The day that I found out, actually a friend of mine's father told me and I just went straight away very quiet. And then I went home and I said to mum, I just found out that dad's gay. That's why he left. And that conversation started and she rang my brother who was living away from home and he was in Sydney. So he drove up and we sat through the night and I asked a whole heap of questions. I was fortunate enough to then go and spend some time with my dad. So he was in America at the time. So I flew to America. And the first couple of days, I didn't tell him why I was there. I just said that it was a bonus at work and I'd done some good work and they had given me a ticket and I wanted to come and see him because I just didn't have the words. I didn't have the emotional muscle to actually say, hey, this is why I'm here. But after a couple of days, I got enough guts up to to say to him, hey, the reason I'm here is because you're gay and I wanted to have this conversation with you face to face, not over the phone. And his partner actually at the time, which which I thought was his business partner, is actually his partner partner, Mm. was there as well. And we all had this discussion, had the wonderful few days together in America. And he answered all my questions. And I went, okay, that's I'm sweet. I'm okay. So I came back to Australia. Then years later, I was like, no, I'm not okay. I've got more questions. But the thing was, dad always answered those questions. All I had to do was ask them. Different questions came up as I got older and I developed different thoughts and feelings and so forth. But I would say I'm closer to my dad now than I was back then because I understand how brave it was for him to do what he did. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, proof's in the pudding, right? He still looks after my mum. You know, he still cares for my mum. He's proven that over many, many years. So, you know, who am I to judge? And a lot of people have much more difficult family lives than I do. So even though it was a trauma, 
I do feel now as I've got older and I've communicated and I'm not worrying alone about it, I've got the answers that I need. And did I want that to happen? No. I wanted my mum and dad to be, you know, this perfect couple that are married for 50 plus years and whatever, but it's not the way it is in 50% of relationships. So mm-hmm. mine's actually a little bit a little bit more different again, but, you know, I've had a very good life, so I, I can't complain. And I continue to look at my dad and realise how brave that was for him to walk away from a wife and two kids at 28 years of age to actually go, oh, I need to live my life, you know, even though it's going to be dangerous because at the time it's not like being gay now. It just was not permitted. So, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of him for being brave enough to have a crack at having a life that he really needed to have. Absolutely. To to live authentically and to work through the challenge and and amazing how you lent in and you created the opportunities to have those conversations. When we're talking about moving from anxiety into into practical and resilient action, it's you know moving out of fight or flight. It's moving out of anger, aggression, frustration, defensiveness, or in fact avoidance. And that's exactly what you did. So if you were to sort of think about the key strategies, the key things that helped you to work through the challenging life experience that experience was, what would you say? What things come to mind that were particularly helpful for you? Yeah, I think not not doing it by myself was really key and actually opening the conversation up, even though I knew it might upset mum a little bit, but actually saying to her, this is how I'm feeling, you know, and I need to get these answers. I need to work this sort of stuff out. Talking to my brother who was very sort of very casual about the whole thing. He was like, oh, that's the way it is. He worked in the film industry. He said there's heaps of gay people there. He understood it more than me. I was like living in my little bubble. I didn't have a clue. So, you know, just talking to them and realising it wasn't such a big deal. But if I'd kept all those feelings to myself, Or if I decided not to go and talk to dad and ask him the hard questions, even though it took me three days to ask the questions, I asked the questions. I I went over there to be in that position to do it. So you're right, I was anxious about it, but eventually just bumbling my way through it opened up a conversation that gave me the answers I needed so I wasn't worrying alone in my own head as much. So having, you know, manning up and speaking up, I suppose, you know, I was living that well before I came up with that term for the Man Up program. So that's probably the key thing, having that village around me that understood and loved me and were trying to help me get some answers and then asking the questions to get the answers. I don't think I would have been able to manage it if I tried to work it out in my own head. Like the questions I was having was like, am I gay? That was one of the big questions I had. So I went and saw a doctor and I said, this is my situation. And she said, look, she told me the facts, right? Because I just didn't know. I, I was unaware. The more you educate yourself, the more you realize that, oh, things aren't quite as bad as that. And people, other people are going through it as well. And that also means that it's normal. So, okay, it's just a different normal. Mm-hmm. So that all happened, Jodes, because I manned up and spoke up. You know, I didn't keep it to myself. So I suppose that would be the biggest lesson that I learned. And then having that really good village around me that just went, we're here for you, mate, rather than trying to come up with answers for me or judging me or judging my dad and judging my mum. They just let the whole thing play out. And these are friends of mine now that I still have. And I still talk to them about all this stuff that's really vulnerable. And I really feel naked around because we've built this relationship over a long period of time by being, 
you know, authentic, um, we can get through nearly every, anything. 100%. And I was reflecting on the word authentic when you just said the word authentic. And it's, it's kind of about that magnificence of authenticity and really leveraging this incredible story of your dad, you know, being true to who he is and the power of authenticity and recognizing that, again, this is a human experience and a human challenge where we feel pushed into whatever corner where we can't be our true selves and saying, taking accountability for action and aligning to your values, aligning to what gives you a sense of meaning, purpose and fulfillment and being true to your authentic self. And how incredible this amazing, courageous actions of your dad to, you know, as, as tough as it was um, to say, right, you know, this is about who I am and embracing my authentic self and negotiating that pathway. And I'm so thrilled to hear that, you know, it's it's come through an evolution where you have managed to bring it back to core values of family and saying that these core values are, are upheld. It's just a different version of, of, of the, the version of family that you anticipated. So, so many strengths in that. And the other um, challenging life experience, of course, which was so pivotal when we say, you know, from discomfort comes uh, growth about the passing of your incredible friend. How did that experience take hold in your life and the challenge and the anxiety that might have come from that hard-hitting experience? He was like Superman to me without a cape. And, you know, I, I bumbled around in my mid-20s, you know, once I eventually got back after that pub job we spoke about, you know, and I came back to Australia, he was just like, well, what are you doing, mate? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to work stuff out. And he goes, you're a salesman, you're a born salesman. I've got a great product for you. Come and sell laptop computers. And we're talking about laptop computers in the sort of the mid to late 90s when only the big, big boss had a computer that you could take away with you or take home with you. And they were like six kilos. They were $8,000 each. And there was a real growth opportunity there. And he saw it. He knew that I'd be good. I actually won four Oceana Salespeople of the Year awards. No one had ever won. <laughs> I'm no not ever, surprised in the slightest. <laughs> no, no one had ever won twice. Yeah. And I won four in a row. And he Boom. was like, I told you this would be good for you. And that yeah. was just when the time when Vix and I started having children. We needed to start getting some money together to get a mortgage and all that. So it was, it was like a perfect storm. And I used to ask him questions all the time about, you know, life or a business workaround or a personal workaround. He was just the go-to guy. And so when he said to me, do you want to go to England? and work over there for Toshiba UK, it worked really well with my wife being English and so forth. So I was actually over there when I got the phone call and I was standing on a hard floor on my mobile phone and someone said, uh, my mate Andy Single actually from Toshiba rang up and said, Angus is dead. And um, I fainted and I smashed my head on the floor and smashed my phone. So I didn't actually know until I got back to home that Vicky had got a call yes. saying, explaining the whole thing that he'd actually taken his own life. So it was a double whammy. It wasn't just losing my friend. It was losing someone to suicide. Mm. And then, okay, I've got to get back to Australia and I've got to get some answers because there's just yeah. no way that he would have taken his own life. There's got mm -hmm. to be something suspicious. So I went home and I saw the family and I saw the friends and went to the police and said, there's no way my friend would do this. He's good looking. He's married. He's got three children. He's got status inside of work or status outside of work. Like this is just not what would happen. I got my first lesson really in mental health, mental fitness that day. 
Mm-hmm. I realise that it doesn't discriminate and it takes so many men in Australia in particular. Absolutely. So I went to the funeral, 1,500 people at the funeral, all of us asking the question, did you have any idea? And no one had a clue. He had the mask on, making out that everything was absolutely awesome. So I went on this journey, I suppose, of denial, guilt, anger, shouting at the skies, getting pissed on his anniversary and shouting at the sky, going to a place where he and I used to go to and talking to him in a really nasty way, like, how dare you do this? How weak, how weak, how this and that. Because I had no idea. I was just angry that I'd lost this bloke. He was like a mentor, like he was a legend. And it took me years. And probably the Man Up show was the start of it to realise that I was barking up the wrong tree. Now I'm five, six years into this journey, I realise, of course, that there are so many people that go through the same thing that I went through, but don't have enough or don't aren't lucky enough to have the education that I've had since to talk to people like you, to talk to all the people I've spoken to with the Gotcha for Life set up over the last five and a half years that I've learned so much and I've changed my tune on so many things. There's one thing I haven't spoken to you about recently but i've been speaking to people that tried to take their life but they're still with us yes so i've spoken to 2136 people who've tried to take their life over the last few years but they're still with us thank god three things have come out of those conversations and they're really privileged conversations they are conversations that are hard they are real they are emotional there's a lot going on face to face with someone who's tried to take their life but they're still here Three things came out of it. Firstly, they didn't want to die. Secondly, they were tired. And thirdly, they were in pain. So I'm thinking, I go back to my friend. Imagine if he just stuck his hand up when he was going through that by himself, putting that mask on every day and making out that everything was fine and he was the life of the party and he was everyone else's problem solver. Just imagine if he had enough emotional muscle to grab one of us, whether it was me or someone else, or just go to a professional that didn't know him and say, you know what? I'm faking this here. I'm really struggling. This is what I'm thinking of doing because of blah, blah, blah. Imagine if he went and spoke to you, mm. had a couple of sessions with you just to clear his mind and to give him a bit of a path to go down. It gave me so much pleasure to realise that if we can get to people before they get too tired and before they get into too much pain, they don't want to die. So we can get hold of They just want to get out of the life that they're in now, not their actual life. So it gave me a lot of opportunity to go, you know what? We're on the right path here. We need to give people the emotional muscle to stick their hand up and ask for help. How do we do that? That's our pathway to getting to zero zero suicide. So that's given me a lot of hope. Amazing, Gus. I've got such goosebumps and I'm so incredibly proud of you and for this amazing work. How amazing is that? That's the number of people that we can truly deeply help to save lives because it is not weak to feel, it's human to feel. And the key message is do not suffer in silence. It's all about recognizing that the practical strategies as simple as leaning in and connecting with another human being will make a difference. It is about hopefulness, positivity and empowerment and not to suffer in silence. Incredible. And so in this amazing life journey that you have had, would there be any other standout individuals or books that you've read that you found some beautiful gold nuggets in there that will help listeners, viewers to move from anxiety into action and embrace their vulnerability and live a more flourishing life? Anything that comes to mind for people or books or things of that nature? Your book goes okay. 
<laughs> oh yeah, boom to that. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. That's beautiful. Um, no, no, it is beautiful. I know how much it was. A, it was something that you really wanted to do, and you you were so busy, but somehow you managed to do that as well as um, doing all your clinical stuff and looking after your own family and and your own village and so forth. So that's that's amazing. So I tip my lid to you, um, you. for that. Now. For me, it's all about connection. So it's all about the people that I've met along this journey and how many leaders are actually just human beings who have gone through ups and downs, who have gone down a rabbit hole and realized, oh, this is not the right place and then got themselves back out of it and and having a crack. I was fortunate enough to do a a podcast series. I'm about to actually start doing a new series um, at the start of the new year. And it was called Not an Overnight Success. And whether it was ex-prime ministers or ex-world champions or, or Hugh Jackman, it was incredible how many leaders, how many people that look that get seen upon to be mentors, so forth, and Mark Burris being one of them as well, who actually have the same feelings as the rest of us, i.e., they have come up against things and they've educated themselves and they've had the guts to stand up and have a crack and to go into the wilderness, not quite sure where it was going to come from, but just have that sort of heart to go, you know what, there's a bigger life out there than me and I'm not going to let anything stop me go there. And that should give everyone, I think, you know, that feeling that if they can do it, I can do it too. And being human is not about not having fears and not being vulnerable and not being able to be emotional. It's about getting through those moments the best you can with that village around you. And that's why now I talk so much about village because it's understandable. You just want to do life, whether it's good or bad, with other people. It's just so much more enjoyable that way, you know, whether it's your village at work or whether it's your heart village, doing work together and doing life together is just fantastic. So that would be my answer to that question is that, I never, ever had my door shut. I'm always looking for people that I can do life with, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's a really cool way of, of looking at life. You know, sometimes you have relationships with people that bit stutter and it doesn't quite work. That's okay. That's no problem. Not everyone's going to be your best mate. Not everyone's going to give you something that you can learn from, but it's all experience, you know, so just keep an open heart and an open mind and let's just make this world better. Let's do things slightly differently because, we don't want to keep doing it the same way over and over again. That That's nine Aussies that woke up this morning that won't wake up tomorrow morning. So no more. You know, it's line in the sand time. We have 65,000 attempts of suicide a year in Australia alone. So no, we're not doing it anymore. So that's what it's all about. Such beautiful words, Gussie. Well done. And, and I have to ask you the question, where to from here? You've achieved so much so far. You are so high energy and go, go, go. What's next now in this amazing work that you're doing and in in your very busy life? Well, in about 20 minutes, I'll be talking to Rio Tinto (laughs) (laughs) virtually. Awesome. um, I love virtual, huh? Yep, 10,000 people apparently, Rio Tinto. So that'll be a bit of fun. And then my radio show this afternoon. But I know know what you mean. For me, it's keeping up, looking after myself. I had a couple of health scares not so long ago, Mm. you know, just overdoing it trying to do too much, trying to be everything to everyone, getting comfortable with saying no, getting comfortable with, you know, having a moment where you don't think you're helping as much as you possibly could. But it's like that oxygen on a plane, like, you know, when they tell you when we're taken off, you know, make sure you put your own oxygen mask on first and then hand it to your kids. It's like, no way I'm going to put my own on first. I'm going to put it on my kids 100%. Well, I now realise where they're coming from. You know, nothing will come unless you look after yourself. Yes. So getting slightly better at that would be good. It's but, a good you know, 
my journey is not finished by any means. It's uh, zero suicide. So we're still at nine. So, you know, that's not good enough. No, absolutely right. And it's a good mission. You know, if you value kindness, we've got to extend that kindness inwards as well. Oftentimes, yeah. kind people give and give and give, and there's not much left in the tank. So I'm yeah. so thrilled to hear that that's what you are um, well, I'm trying. I don't know if I'm going to be successful, but I'll give it a go. It's about effort, right? It's all about effort. Thank you, magnificent man. Go and change the world and give my love to the people at Rio Tinto. <laughs> and I can't wait to connect again soon. Good on you, Joe. It's fantastic. And thanks. I really enjoyed chatting to you and uh, lots of love to you and your listeners and your viewers. And I hope that they got something from it. If we can help in any way, Gotcha for Life is here for them. Thanks, mate. 100%. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.